I V M. Fiscal federalism. Two words that can bore most people to death, but fundamental to the success of any large democracy like India. Pranay Kotasthane joins us on this episode of the Pragati Podcast to help us understand why fiscal federalism matters and how we should think about it a lot better. Welcome to the Pragati Podcast, a weekly talk show on public policy, economics and international relations. I'm your host, Pavan Srinath. Prana is the head of the geostrategy program at the Takshashila Institution and he's been a frequent guest on the Pragati podcast. He's come on the show in the past to talk about everything from taxation to budgets all the way to geopolitics. He and I have worked together on several projects, including how India's many governments spend on health. We both also had an opportunity to understand more about public finance, budgets, and the Finance Commission, thanks to the mentorship of Dr. Govind Rao, who was a member of the 14th Finance Commission. We'll start our conversation with Pranay after a short break. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another great week on the IBM Podcast Network. If you're not following us on social media, please make sure you do. We're IBM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. On our social media, one of the things we do is if you send us a screenshot of what you're listening to, we will repost it on our social network so that people can see that what people are listening to. Put us some comments and we'll respond to them. Also want to let people know that we're still hiring. We're looking for producers, content creators, audio engineers, developers, designers, and business roles, and basically all kinds of other things. Go to the careers page on ibmpodcast.com or send us an email at careers at indusbox.com. Wanted to announce two new shows that we are starting, Tech Careers in the New and Agla Station Adulthood. Tech Careers in the New is a brand new podcast presented by Accenture. It's hosted by our very own Sheila Mukhopadhyay and my co-host on Shunya One. On this show, he's talking to Accenture leaders about the latest and greatest in the world of technology and gives exclusive tips on technology careers, how to grab opportunities and stay relevant. Watch out for fortnightly episodes on Wednesdays starting July 3rd. The other new show that we're launching this week is an exciting show called Agla Station Adulthood, where best friends Ritasha Rathor and Ayushi Amin ride through the various stations of life. Whether you're in your mid-twenties just entering them or about to cross into the next decade, tune in to this fun show. On Cyrus Says, best-selling author Amish Tripathi talks to Cyrus about the shared universe of all his books, the rich and inclusive history of ancient India, and his new book in the Ramchandra series, Ravan, Enemy of Aryavarta. On Equity Sahiya, Shrey Lunkar, senior VP at Motilal Oswal AMC, talks to Anupam about the pharma sector in India. On Advertising is Dead, Varun Dugirala is in conversation with the founders of Pocket Aces, Ashwin Suresh and Anirudh Pandit. They discuss the growth and potential of the Indian digital content market. On Mr. and Mrs. Binge Watch, Janice and Anirudh recommend shows that are easy to watch. Join them as they talk about the TV shows Love, Crashing and Lovesick. On the 25th episode of Golgappa, Tripti is joined by film director Vikram Fadnis. He talks about how he started his journey from being a fashion designer to becoming a movie director and his upcoming Marathi movie Smile Please. Also, our host Tripti plays an important part in this movie. On Not Just Dansa, Parzain talks to chef Viraf Patel about Parsi fusion food. They discuss innovation versus traditional food in the Parsi food circles. On Pulia Bazi, Pranay and Saurabh talk with investor and trader Harsh Vora to better understand the tussle between the Reserve Bank of India and the Indian government. And with that, let's continue with your show. Hi Pranay, welcome back to the Prakati Podcast. Thanks Pavan and before we get started, I wanted to congratulate you for completing 100 episodes. Thank you so much. Doing anything 100 times is an achievement and doing 100 things of high quality is even greater achievement. So congrats. And hey, um, you've been there for a <laughs> good part of that story and we've been sort of podcast buddies for a while uh, and you've been running um, a Pulia Bazi for a while too. So good luck on your hitting 100 as well in the yeah, future. Hopefully. <laughs> So Pranay, uh, today we are here to talk about fiscal federalism. And, and typically, 
whenever we talk about federalism, about how power should not be centralized, we often talk about politics, right? How, you know, chief ministers and states should get more power versus the government of India. Mm. And more locally, we talk about how cities should get more power and uh, village panchayats should get more power in comparison to states. And various versions of this conversation have happened worldwide, right? I mean, in the US, it's even called the federal government. And for various reasons, we are a union and not a federal uh, government at the center. But underlying all of this, there's always money, which becomes an important issue, right? So, and that's where fiscal federalism comes in. So, what is federalism, fiscal federalism? How should we think about it? And why does it matter so much? Yeah, so actually fiscal federalism as a discipline, it's a discipline within public finance and it starts with, you can compare it with the insight of uh, when you had this idea about Hayek saying use of knowledge in society, right? The idea that central planning is probably not the best way to go about doing things. So there, then in response to that, people started thinking, okay, if you can't have central planning, you need to have uh, better ways of others doing this planning as well. It was not necessarily against planning, but not one center. And that's where this, this idea came that, you know, some preferences can be identified better at a more local level, right? So localized preference your state will probably know better what are the needs your city government might know even better what people need there compared to someone in Delhi sitting right so that was the idea of fiscal federalism and there's an excellent quote by Alexei Tocqueville when he visited the democracy in America book right so he says that federal system was created with the intention of combining different advantages that result from the magnitude and littleness of nations. So the idea is there are advantages to scale and there are also advantages to the littleness of this, right? So Tocqueville, and this is what, uh, 1800s, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Huh. Uh, so he's looking at sort of American democracy, right? Yes. So he also manages to comment on fiscal federalism exactly. back in the day. Yes. yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, fascinating. So I only know him from, I think, again, a few quotes and essays on you know, how he's talking about community and government. And he also almost talks about government as sort of supra-societal institution, right? I mean, if we form little clubs and societies and groups and communities to sort of figure out how to work with each other, and government is sort of the ultimate expression of the same thing. Absolutely. And the idea, role of civil society as being this third agent of change is very well expressed in that book, right? Not just market and the state. Right. So, so you're saying, so while... Somebody like Hayek was actually talking about prices and saying, government get out of the way, people can make better decisions if price information reaches them well. So like, you know, um, a local contractor who's building, building, um, you know, various structures Mm. doesn't have to worry about the Australian deal with someone else on steel. They just need to know what the steel prices are in the market and therefore they can factor in that price into their construction activity. But here you're saying, even as government, instead of sort of centralized planning where a few economists will come together, build a model and simulate the economy, it's much better if decisions are taken at multiple levels. Absolutely. Yeah, some of the decisions. So that that is what this fiscal federalism discipline came to analyze. What are the questions which, what are the instruments that are better centralized? What are the instruments of taxes, uh, expenditures, which are better localized. So that is what this fiscal federalism discipline concerned itself about. And there are a multiple generations of theories on this. Like the first generation of theory just talked about 
that there are three types of functions that governments perform one is stabilization one is redistribution and one is allocation so stabilization is about managing exchange rates and what should be the currency interest rates which is best done at the union government level then they talked about redistribution and interestingly uh, the first generation said it is probably better done at the union government level because if uh, there is more redistribution done at a localized level then people who are taxed more might go out of that area and the other guys who are not doing well might actually there will be influx of the people from other areas where uh, provisions are much poorer so there was an idea that redistribution should be done at the union level and allocation was the third one provision of public goods etc which is best done at a local level because right. you will understand the requirements better there but these are all you know very intuition oriented theories this was the first generation there were subsequently many other theories which said that no maybe there are exceptions in some cases even redistribution can be done at a local level etc so we see all these experiments going on even in india as well right and and while this can be a topic of both sort of deep policy interest and deep academic interest they do play they are increasingly playing out in politics in various ways right even if they don't necessarily make it into election campaigns there is a huge outcry a year or so ago uh, about how you know the rich southern states are subsidizing the poor inefficient uh, you know corrupt northern governments so it was not even so much that people in uttar pradesh and bihar were uh, not well off the idea is that those governments are corrupt and we are subsidizing their corruption from revenues from the south and that becomes a big issue right and um, it's a big identity issue as well so it's not purely academic absolutely and it's only going to heat up with the 15th finance commission using 2011 population figures which we'll discuss and uh, subsequently the delimitation thing which will happen uh, in 2026 so yeah the, this is going to be a very contentious issue right so so you know we often look at like for example i think before the elections there was talk of how um if you look at say lok sabha constituencies the number of people um sort of there's a weightage of the vote implicit in that right and a lot of the constituencies in north india are actually far more populous especially in up and so on so what two voters in up count for might just be one in tamil nadu or kerala in terms of representation in um, government so so there is that discussion Absolutely, yeah. but the same happens with money on the fiscal side and this perhaps even more important yeah uh, on this uh, fiscal side yeah because if you take in terms of per capita allotments from the union government a person in up will still get a lot less than say in a richer state and we have to ask this question right is the individual important or is the state more important right? right and the question is if india is a republic it's the individual that counts right yeah state so, is just the administrative unit yeah. at that level so but it's a very emotive issue right and they yeah, are with linguistic states as also this cultural dimension etc so it's quite complicated it will get even more complicated but before even going there i think we have had some achievements in fiscal federalism that mm. i wanted to talk about so the first idea being that you know all federal systems are decentralized but not mm. all decentralized systems are federal so there's a difference because uh, explain that yeah. to me so because decentralization just means that you might have some functions which are allotted 
to right. a lower level body right and there, there are also variants within that right there's devolution deconcentration etc so but federal systems there is something more more than decentralization in that so in federal systems there is sort of a permanency of some assignments in terms of what's lower level governments can raise what expenditures they can do so it's well defined and there is it's permanent in the sense that it is often written in the constitution so for right. example in india we have three lists in the seventh schedule which say you know these are the responsibilities of the state governments these are the taxes state governments can raise etc and that's very important uh, to realize the fact that after 70 years still states are an important agents of growth in their own right in fact union governments have copied what state governments are done right. is a success in itself and i want to contrast this with what happens in pakistan for example for 1955 to 1970 the four states of pakistan as we know now didn't exist they were merged oh. into something called the one unit okay okay so, <laughs> so they didn't have state governments no they it was just dissolved wow because there was east pakistan and there was one unit called west pakistan So that's it. Yeah. Uh, and we don't realize that, right? Uh, so there that was a decentralized system which was not federal, right? So because there was no permanency, the even the Supreme Court said it was fine at that point of time. But that can't happen in India, for right. example, federalism is and is one of the elements of a basic structure doctrine right. as well, right? So So at best the government of India can impose president's rule and do and you actually need to amend the constitution to say make something from a state list to a concurrent list or something else right so it's really hard to do yeah. something like that they can merge time. states now probably that is what the uh, union governments can do and have done but it is there is still a permanency of this unit called the state itself it's not a province right there is a difference right. and there is a permanency that states will always play a role there will be de- uh, functions taxes which only state governments have control over so that i think is a success so uh, so here i want to go back right so if we're talking I mean, let's cut to I don't know 1947 to 1950, the Constituent Assembly that's in position, um, and one of the several overriding concerns of that time was how do you establish India as a union, where a majority of the territory was not under direct British administration but under princely states. Uh, so, how does did sort of fiscal thinking fiscal federalism sort of play a role into the conversations and the thought process there a lot actually in fact ambedkar had written a lot when he, his book on pakistan actually talks a lot about fiscal federalism as well okay so he has uh, initial numbers on what are the taxes raised by say a state here bombay presidency or you know so those numbers are there so that was always in the conversation that uh, and this idea also right uh, this idea of north south being different was there right from the in, in fact ambedkar again as an essay on linguistic states which i absolutely recommend to anyone who's interested in the topic okay uh, like ambedkar he has a very different view which pisses off everyone else okay <laughs> so this was a very important conversation that what should be the structure and uh, if states have a role to play how much ta- what taxes can they uh, should they be there in their control etc so one thing i saw was again because of this overriding concern um, the late 40s for how do you sort of create and uphold this union government of india uh, that that most of the discussions one was on union versus state 
right very little on state versus city and though gandhi was such a proponent for gram swarajya and gram rajya and gram panchayats that did not feature in the constituent assembly debates the entire whatever bargaining was happening was between states and the union government right absolutely like yeah, when we talk about fiscal federalism in india i think and that is what i wanted to come to if i talk about some of the shortcomings of indian fed, fiscal federalism experience hmm. one thing has to be just that yeah there is no talk about the third level for a long time right and it is dominated by union governments and states and states versus states right. so that's been predominant and uh, there is a very good quote on this right like everyone wants decentralization but up to their own level right? <laughs> which dr rawat mentioned so this is true of states as well so now states right. are talking about union government versus other states but even after like you you know much more about this than me about this amendment which created urban local bodies but yet the responsibilities to urban local bodies are decided by state government so and and, and, and honestly the bangalore local government actually cannot change the property tax rates <laughs> for property taxes in their own city and that's the only full tax that the local body can uh, administer and the situation is not very different in other places but going back to 1950 i think and one way in which they squared this challenge was i mean they found that they wanted to centralize a lot of the taxation powers the the predominant taxation powers but the constitution was designed in a way where the majority of the expenditure would have to be done by states right so how did the constitution sort of try and resolve this imbalance right so actually that's not uh... unique to india in any federal system it happens the idea is many of these broad based taxes income etc are best collected by the union government because if not so then there will be migrations because hmm. there are differences in tax rates right i mean imagine if income tax in one state is 10% versus 30% in others and given that we'll still have right to free movement you can easily move to other places so that was the first uh, idea that's why broad based taxes are generally collected by the union government but for uh, expenditures social services the predominant role was given to states so right. education health in fact health is in the state list education is now in the concurrent list so they were sort of thought of as steering these because they have a better idea of local preferences right and this is an right. allocation problem as we right. discussed and and obviously kerala and bihar cannot have the same education policy or same education priorities absolutely yeah so the resulting thing was uh, and we see it even today the, we call something as the vertical imbalance which means that uh, states have higher expenditure responsibilities but lower collection power so the number today's uh, states spend around 58% of all government expenditure okay but they raise only 38% Okay so there's a big there's 20% uh, 20% gap. gap right so that's where the role of grants comes in okay so this is called intergovernmental grants basically these are just cash transfers or voucher transfers you can imagine which a higher level of government is giving in the indian context to a lower level of government for them to meet this gap so that is how it was imagined so this is in it was right in the beginning and to resolve this gap the indian constitution imagined something called the finance commission and the idea was that finance commission established under article 280 every 5 years there will be a group which will decide what should be the money that the union government should keep 
versus what money should the state government keep and also then there's called the horizontal imbalance how do you distribute this money between different state governments right so this was the uh, institution which was supposed to resolve this problem so when we talk about say our income tax corporate income tax and so on all of it is collected by the government of india but it is split into this pie right that is between the government of india and all of its other states and of course we've had various states saying we haven't received our fair share we want more you didn't uh, allocate us what was promised and all of that but but this is the idea right yeah and the more important thing is these are not something which the union government is giving as a gift or a favor okay, right. this money doesn't even go into the consolidated fund of the indian government's budget or right so it is directly flows from say you finance commission so it goes into the consolidated fund but the government of india has no control. has no control uh, on it right and the important point here is a finance commission recommends and generally india's experience has been that finance commission recommendations have been accepted by successive union governments the main recommendation which talks about this vertical transfer and horizontal transfer so that's been a good thing you know so this is unique in the sense that this is not a favor this is the right of the state governments and they need to get and they get their share of the money irrespective of the government in charge of the day like once the money goes there it's split automatically and reaches the states right so you can't have political interference once that allocation ratio has been established yeah so there is a formula basically which generally decides this so the contestation is on what this formula should right. be but once a formula is decided then it's just every year there is an allocation based on it That's so it. so let's talk more about this in sort of the second half where we'll sort of dive into the finance commission and what successive mm. uh, commissions have tried to do but um, what else do we need to understand about uh, sort of fiscal federalism you know one thing i've heard of often is that you know governments that are at the most local level that have the closest interface with the public are often quite reluctant at collecting taxes because it can just anger people you know it's tougher to tax someone locally so does that feature into some of these things around income tax being standard so one uh, issue you raised was that there can be tax competition right i give you this much tax waiver state b gives you so much more tax waiver so you are sort of attracting companies people but it's sort of a race to the bottom mm. right even i think a lot of the arguments for gst was also similar right you can have a lower uh, sort of vat rate in your state and that can be a little more attractive but you are actually distorting the overall market in india and you're actually not having one common market because each state had its own sort of uh, sales tax regime and and we've unified that and gst we'll see how well it works that's a separate discussion but any other such sort of fundamental principles that sort of drive uh fiscal federalism both on taxes and expenditure side yeah i think one was this tibot model so there are a bunch of models right which and this was about people vote with their feet so mm. if the idea being that again if taxation is low in some other part they they'll vote with their feet by going to that particular part right the other thing was uh, an important part is uh, the idea that whatever money you give to the state should be an incentive let's say union government is giving some amount of money 
to state governments if that is a big significant part of uh, the state government spending then they have no incentives to raise money on their own itself right, right. so that is what the phenomenon which is called raiding the fiscal commons like if uh, the states have no incentives to improve they know that union government is anyways going to give me a 60% of whatever i want to spend on then there's no incentive for them to improve on many of these things right. so that is also a concern and that comes into account when you want to give grants to states right so these are i think two three ideas which are important so prana in independent india so obviously finance commission becomes perhaps the most important agency for federal fiscal federalism but what else was happening between the union government and states and let's restrict ourselves to that we'll talk about states and cities maybe a little later in the uh, conversation yeah actually the finance commission was not the most important part for fiscal federalism for a long time because okay. a, a lot of its role was sort of curtailed by this innovation called the planning commission right, right. and in fact once the planning commission was formed the, even though there was a large sort of consensus that central planning should be the norm it back in the 40s there was no consensus on whether you need to have a separate planning commission at all okay so okay. in fact the finance minister resigned when the planning commission was formed back then because it's sort of competition to the exactly he said what the hell i mean I, ministry of finance is not being able to do what it wants to do because you've created this new body and this pl- planning commission created something called this plan expenditure right so it used to come up with these five year plans these based on these plans each state had to make their own plans then it used to go to the planning commission for an approval and then planning commission will decide whether the state governments are really deserving of the money that they want to and then it will allot some money under this and there were many things which happened in this right the biggest problem with this was uh, planned expenditure did not take into account maintenance and expenditure on government itself so okay. i think the uh, this is a hypothesis i don't know but a lot of underspending on polis etc that we see stems hmm. for this because polis was not a planned expenditure right <laughs> so so rather plan expenditure right yeah, everything expen- might have been planned right. to various levels but the idea was that this plan is a development plan and there were some very rest- constrained notions of what development was right so you should spend on education health infrastructure etc but police is security uh, external affairs is external affairs defense is defense none of them contribute to development and sort of this idea that even paying salaries to various people in government and so on does not constitute development so all that is not unplanned but non-planned non-planned yeah and uh, but this plan became a giant chunk so you're saying instead of the finance commission doing these sort of free grants that are not very political and and reasonably independent most of it was going to the planning commission yes so st- each state had to go and make its case to the planning commission to say give me this much on education this much on health for a variety of reasons absolutely yeah and even within the planning commission's grants there were two parts to it okay one was a formulaic grant so again in planning commission also they devised a formula based on uh, you know levels of poverty or levels of population etc and the other part was a discretionary transfer now this okay. was the part which 
you know, union government wants to run a new scheme, so it will uh, choose the state that it wants to. And over time, this discretionary portion in the planning commission was nearly 75% of the grants that was under wow. this plan expenditure. So the amount that you gave through this more rational formula was within the planning commission itself was quite less. So, so, so special grant can be like, we've seen this in politics, right? A prime minister goes and visits a state and say, I will... Uh, give you launch this special state development scheme where we will give you one lakh crore over the next five years. All of that was from things like the planning commission, yeah, and from plan expenditure. Yes, and it was discretionary, so they could decide what whatever they wanted. So, and so, so in effect, the finance commission could only look at the non-plan expenditure and see how that division happened. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So the plan had the first call over the exchequer. Yes. And then the re- remaining was managed by these guys. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And there was a third institutional arrangement which came into being, uh, which was called this direct implementing agencies, right? Hmm. So even from the money that planning commission was giving, it didn't give to the state government. So they had these separate implementing agencies like you have written already on health, etc. So these implementing agencies were carved out as societies and the union government directly gave money to them bypassing the state budgets itself. So there's one more way in which sort of the states had lesser role to play even though this is squarely in the state domain, right? Education, health is what state's responsibilities. So we see all these distortions which happen. So they might be staffed by state level officers, IS officers and others but they were effectively working outside of um, complete scrutiny by the Local state governments, right? Yes. Or complete authority. Yeah. And state governments didn't have control over the expenditures. Et Expenditure or the design, right? Yeah. The design was decided largely at the central level. So in that sense, was it the planning commission that gave rise to these things called the centrally sponsored schemes? Or did they sort of come along at some point? I'm not sure whether it was the planning commission, but it, yeah, it, the idea of a plan, central plan, driving a lot of initiatives. So that sort of mentality comes from the planning commission's idea, but I'm not sure whether planning commission specifically recommended this. Right. But, but tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, we've seen these words being thrown around central sector schemes, centrally sponsored schemes. Mm. What is the basic idea of a centrally sponsored scheme? So centrally sponsored scheme is often sponsored by the union as the name suggests, but it is executed by the state level governments. Okay. Uh, Central sector scheme is executed, planned, everything done by the union government. So for example, a lot of things on, uh, uh, let's say railways, if Mm. they make a plan on that, it will be a central sector scheme uh, because it's run by the union government plan. But if they are doing something on uh, sanitation, for example, or Mm. health, national health mission, which is executed by the state governments. So union governments give money to it. And the state governments can, by the way, say, I don't want this scheme. So they can say, I don't want national health mission. I have a better scheme. So that also happens. So that's the difference. Okay. So, so in effect, then you have um, a lot of these centrally sponsored schemes where on things like you mentioned sanitation, health, the national health mission, such Bharat Abhiyan, all of them are centrally sponsored schemes, right? And often they're on state subjects. Uh, so basically, while you were saying that 
in theory the majority of the taxation powers are with the uh, union government and the majority of expenditure powers are with the state governments in reality the strings were still being controlled by the union government right so the union government had a majority role to play in a lot of state policies uh, and and most of the ministries we often talk about even at the central level are all ministries to do with state subjects yeah. right agriculture health uh even environment i think uh, to a certain extent either state or concurrent subjects mm. and they have sort of predominant power yeah absolutely i mean you won't believe at one point of time if you combined all these schemes there were 900 of them wow okay i mean which government can manage 900 schemes i mean it's ridiculous right and subsequently it went down so it became 147 a few years back now there are 28 centrally sponsored schemes and sec- central sector are around so uh, t- totally 100 around that is the but number. even that will have a few a b c d e yeah so the 28 centrally sponsored schemes actually came out of an initiative by state government so uh, a lot of them complained that you know you're running so many of these schemes which we should be doing uh, so there was a committee formed headed by the madhya pradesh chief minister back then four five years back and they recommended that you should reduce these schemes drastically so uh, his recommendations of that committee were taken on board but they were done very slyly so they just reduced the number of schemes to 28 but they included all previous schemes into one umbrella schemes and that still continues sort of so uh, you know i just want to give one example from some work i done when i just started my career in public policy which is we were trying to evaluate how karnataka was implementing a particular urban poverty alleviation scheme called the sjsry okay swarna jayanti shahari uh, rozgar yojana where the idea was uh, you need this scheme to uh, help the urban poor in a variety of ways in big cities and small towns uh, so that you know they can get out of poverty in variety of ways and the idea was you know there was one component so even this one scheme had like five components to them okay so one was a loan and subsidy scheme so the idea being we'll give a loan but the interest is subsidized or there's a significant subsidy uh, so that you can open a little business you can do something and you know therefore generate employment and uh, gain a livelihood uh, the second was sort of self help groups so women self help groups you form a group and the idea is there again the government gives a subsidy but people pool in money it becomes a local credit pool which can be loaned out to people within the group or outside the group and then you know so there was that and then there was also skills people were taught tailoring cosmetics a variety of things and if i remember correctly i think there was a fourth component to even build small community assets wow okay all under one scheme and this entire scheme for the entire country was 600 crores <laughs> okay uh, 600 crores i think from the government of india and i think they wanted the state governments to match it with maybe another 200 300 crores so yes you have this big problem that you want to ch- uh, tackle urban poverty and you have millions upon millions of urban poor and you were spending doing all this work for this 1000 crore scheme so i remember going i mean if you go to mysore or something they were giving out 200 or 300 loans per year and, and like yeah. how are you going to do any impact at scale <laughs> exactly. right yeah and so yeah it's really important you pick your priorities focus on them especially if you're the union government and just just 
put out enough money over there to make a difference right i don't know what difference 200 people getting a loan and subsidy in a city the size of mysore is going to make uh, for them yeah that's a critical problem you know just thinly spread resources over so many things uh, and then we actually it's the some of the responsibility lies with all of us also right we want the union government to do all these things uh, yeah. no we don't and trust a big, the, uh, chunk of something like this because it's a loan and subsidy is a overhead for banks and so you have bank people evaluating whether somebody is loan worthy for something where they don't have collateral and it becomes a bizarre thing where you're overloading a whole bunch of people with extra paperwork for something that's actually a very small uh, ticket size uh, operation absolutely i mean 1000 crores uh, uh, is what for uh, we are 300 million urban population uh, you know urban poverty rates are what 20 million or uh, 20% or 15% mm-hmm. so you're talking about uh, maybe about what 50 rupees per uh, person per urban poor yeah can't do much yeah. of that so pranay let's take a quick break and we'll come back i want to talk to you a little more about uh, transfers that you mentioned so we've talked about various kinds of transfers that come in various ways uh, but i want to get to the 101 of you know what kind of transfers work well where and how we should be thinking about fiscal federalism in india so that we can have better governance So we'll take a quick break and come back. Hey Krupa, check out my beatboxing. Boots and cats and boots and cats. Come on, please stop. Cats. All right. Check out my singing. No, I'm serious. Stop. But why? Because you're genuinely bad and because you've got actual talent to showcase. Presenting the ATKT Talent Time podcast, where I, Krupa, and IP Man chat with some immensely talented college students about the fun part of college, like freshers' life, the music and poetry scene, side hustles for college students, and the not so fun, like weird dress codes, hostel deadlines, and ragging. New episodes every Tuesday on the IVM Podcast app, the IVM Podcast website, and wherever else you get your podcasts from. Hey, Krupa. Check out my poetry. Roses are red. No. Violets no, are blue. No, 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 no. You are special. Hi, I'm Pavan Srinath, and welcome back to the Pragati Podcast. I'm here today with Pranay Kotasthane, and we are talking about fiscal federalism. Uh, so, Pranay, you mentioned transfers between governments and various natures of it. So, could you elaborate on that? Uh, so, if the Finance Commission style of transfer versus a centrally sponsored scheme style of transfer. how should we think about them and where would they be relevant uh, from literature rather than from you know typical sarkari thinking yeah so there's again a lot of literature in fiscal federalism on this what is the purpose of a grant so broadly they are divided into two categories one is called the conditional grants and one is called unconditional grants okay as the name suggests in conditional grants it comes with certain conditions that the lower level of government has to meet okay so what are the purposes of this right so generally conditional grants are uh, the purpose of them uh, is best when you want to ensure a particular minimum standard of a service across the country okay so this think of it as uh, this is like a, a voucher transfer right Uh, like you have any school voucher which is given why do you give the voucher if you do a demand and supply curve when you give a voucher there will be increase in consumption of some other good as well but right. the voucher will definitely ensure more than cash transfer that at least people will go to the school right 
right. a larger number of people so, so that it's a better instrument when you want to ensure that some particular service quality is increased no it might some money might be used for some other purposes but definitely for this some part is used so that's why uh, uh, these conditional grants are best used for let's say for meritorious goods when you want to provide let's say healthcare you want to achieve uh, an imr target across india so best way would be to ensure that you know this money only gets allotted based on certain conditions to your health scheme and people meet it so that's the purpose of conditional grants unconditional grants or what you call general purpose transfers are transfers which are like a cash transfer so basically a, a one level of government gives money to another level and the next level of government is free to use it the way it wants so the purpose of that is when you want to give freedom to the uh, lower level of government to decide how it wants to use it so this is like the two broad classifications now uh there is a, a lot of overlap between finance commission and planning commission between these two grants so for example finance commissions previously used to do both these grants okay so they used to give a large portion of their amount used to be unconditional which used to come from tax devolution right so they used to define some formula and this money is given as cash to all states but they also used to do a lot of these grants which was again you know small amounts for revenue deficit some uh, finance commission has have given it for disaster relief some have given it for uh, you know bunch of other things i remember the 13th finance commission i think came to karnataka and mm. saw that i think there was a drought situation in kolar and lack of irrigation and so on i think they awarded a few hundred crores just to uh, rejuvenate tanks and other things in the kolar or the greater kolar area mm. to sort of uh, supplement drinking water and irrigation yeah. seems like a very bizarre thing for the finance commission of india to consider right i'm not saying that the problem is not important mm. but why couldn't that money have come from the state government or somebody else yeah. right i mean why should the finance commission be bothered about something this small and how can they even enforce yeah, anything yeah they can't enforce it's a temporary body yeah. the once they make the recommendations everyone vanishes so the money might come to the state government but and might notionally be spent on only that but still it it's barely anything right absolutely yeah so and then planning commission when it existed it also did a bunch of uh, both the grants right because there was one formulaic grant which was given right. under the plan and then there was this discretionary grants which we talked about which was more unconditional so there was a lot of this hodgepodge of uh, everyone trying to do everything and right. in turn achieving nothing kind of a thing so so if you're looking at a country like india with uh, what almost 30 states uh very different income levels across the states where does this sort of general purpose transfer come in where you're essentially infusing the state budget with cash right and mm. the state can decide how it wants to spend that money uh, how should we think about that when we are say living in a country with you know uttar pradesh and bihar in the same country as maharashtra and tamil nadu mm. actually uh, more than the interstate differences i would look at it from the vertical imbalance point of view okay. the idea being that more and more transfers 
should be with the states rather than with the union government just the cash right let, let state governments decide a lot because we talked about the imbalance right and right. a lot of critical functions maybe we'll also talk about social security soon in 10 15 years it right. will also have to be done by the state so let state governments decide so a bihar can choose to spend this money on education whereas kerala will then probably choose it on social security so first thing is reducing the amount of the idea that unions should have more money and the state right. government should have this is one thing the second point which you importantly brought about was this horizontal imbalance right bihar's gsdp is five times lesser than haryana's if right. you include goa it is 10 times lesser right so this is quite unique to india there are very few federal states in across the world which have this kind of imbalance right so in if that is the situation there the role of conditional grants becomes important because mm. even if you have uh, this kind of difference bihar cannot raise money on its own in this stage so let's say to run even a health scheme which will solve all its problems hmm. so you need to have this uh, idea that you have a minimum standard for health or education meritorious right. goods across india right because a person being sick in bihar is also a cost for entire uh, india right so for that you need the role of conditional grants to ensure that we at least achieve a minimum standard right and if we are setting out something like the idea that infant mortality rates in india should be less than you know 30 per 1000 births so 15 per 1000 births that is a constant across uh, all states right there can't be artificial sort of benchmarks for the very different states even if sort of progress happens however it happens so that's where the conditional grants come in right and i guess the other idea is if we think about uttar pradesh or bihar or other states they are also handicapped from a taxation point of view right so they they don't have a very large tax base to tax and therefore uh, use that for expenditure so does the general purpose grant come in to sort of ensure that you know some kind of comparable services are being delivered at sort of comparable tax rates and so on yes that was the idea of so there are different ideas on general purpose transfer as well so initial idea was that general purpose transfers are meant to equalize the differences between states but that no. was heavily criticized by a lot of people mm. so then the current idea is that because tax rates across uh, india will not be very different uh, so at that comparable tax rates at least the services should be provided so the union government should enable the state government to do it it can't ensure because the state government have freedom to use it Hmm. so that was the idea behind general purpose transfers in conditional transfers there are interesting experiments that have happened uh, uh, there is something called the open ended matching grants okay so now just look at health and education these are things significantly which have externalities right interstate externalities arise from some of these things right mm. let's say if there's a dengue outbreak in bihar it will affect adjoining states as well it might not just right. be limited to bihar Or so something the, like aids is a national issue uh, right? yeah right so there there it's in no one's interest that any part of india has this problem right there there will be spillovers whenever there are these spillovers it's in the interest of the union government to give more funds 
to the states so let's say for bihar in health it can give 90% of the money can come from the union government and mm. only 10% bihar has to contribute but for kerala it could be that you know only 50% the union government will give and 50% kerala can give so this is open ended in the sense it uh, you have not decided a fixed ratio right. and it's a matching grant so you also need commitment from the state government to contribute some money otherwise they'll just think that you know i don't need to give anything union government will anyway right. so generally for meritorious goods with significant externalities a good principle is you have open ended matching grants and the more externalities exist in a particular sector the more money the union government gives okay but currently uh, by and large either there are a few uh, examples where the government of india sort of funds it uh, 100% but by and large over the last couple of decades most of these centrally sponsored schemes and specific grants have been okay union government will give you 75% 60% the state government has to sort of match it with 40% or 25% right so that's been the general idea and i think the one of the theories behind it was also to say that look states are underspending on these things so by giving this union government um, grant and asking states to match it we are going to stimulate expenditure and increase expenditure on that particular area right but in the current design that doesn't always happen right yeah and in fact some of these things are first of all it is not open ended it is huh. closed ended so they just de- define a number so it leads to wrong stimulation also right like for example in kerala still you are giving a centrally sponsored scheme for primary education whereas they don't need it for this they maybe kerala needs it for some other reason but right. because they are getting the 60% funds and there will be entrenched interests as well right so you keep spending on primary education right. doing certain things so and that is and none of these things are actually matched to outcomes so currently mm-hmm. we don't measure for example okay you are so far away from the imr so you need to get more money it's just decide some one formula is decided for all the country right and and sometimes you also have substitution instead of stimulation right i mean like some of our work on health expenditure sort of showed the same result where the idea that instead of the state government sort of being incentivized to spend more is actually saying oh there is money that i was spending but there is this new money coming in from the government of india so i'll just substitute it and therefore the burden on me is lesser uh, on actually what is a critical and important Uh, issue like say health or education absolutely yeah. it's like the seventh schedule of the constitution actually has very little meaning because of all these things right because now union government is spending on these things state government is also happy that uh, some state governments do to the finance commission they did complain that we don't want centrally sponsored schemes but once the money is coming in there is little incentive for them to you know even stimulate expenditure on it right but i find that sometimes the challenge is also with us right and on what we focus on like though there are a lot of centrally sponsored schemes say the national health mission uh, used to get so much billing when we are talking about health expenditure in the country and now we are talking about the national uh, health uh, the insurance scheme and all mm. of that the nhps but uh, at least as of a couple of years ago i mean a bulk of the spending what 70% of the spending on health was coming from states yes. right on all kinds of little schemes something such as not even schemes just routine expenditure on hospitals and their upgradation and so on and we in civil society in think tanks and other places also don't 
spend as much uh, effort looking at how well things are working right mm. so we are actually looking at the tip of the iceberg when we are looking at these centrally sponsored schemes and these big flagship missions which a lot of which generate a lot of interest and may also give out more data and so on so it's easier to analyze yeah. but there's this giant thing that the states are in full control of which do not receive the same amount of scrutiny and uh, uh, research that union government actions do yeah absolutely state budgets are understudied so yeah uh, so pranay uh, with this being the case we saw few developments about 5 years ago right one was the end of the planning commission so the big institution that decided a bunch of these fiscal federalism issues went away overnight and to the 14th finance commission did a lot of interesting things so what has changed because of those two things yeah i think first even before this there was something called the fiscal responsibility and budget management act frbm the in 2003. 2002 yeah 2002 oh, 2003 mm-hmm. so the idea there was an interesting one that was the first time where every state signed an act which said that you know we will not spend 3% more than our total uh, revenues Uh, in this includes the money that the union government has given to them by the way so they there was this fiscal responsibility pact that all state and the union government in, entered in and it was around 3% fiscal deficit for states 3% fiscal deficit for the union government so that was a new thing right this ensured at least to a certain extent that states don't raid the fiscal commons as so as to say right so there won't be any state which can now say let union government do whatever it does i don't want to raise taxes at all because it will show up in this right and they can't spend more than 3% so states tried to do some ingenious things to circumvent this but broadly this has been one thing which at least brought this idea that you need to be fiscally responsible at least at the state level right state level the union yeah. government has a much more spottier record on uh, being fiscally prudent and not spending more than their means yeah in the recent years in fact in uh, this is the economic survey also saying that earlier there was the opposite right the state governments didn't do this better but state governments have improved on this count they are, there are very few states exa- for example which will have these revenue deficits or primary deficits they have improved on that count they are moving towards fiscal consolidation but union government no one checks them right so they keep doing what they want to do yeah i mean union government still has a 2% of gdp i mean revenue deficit right if not more yeah and that 2% sounds like a small number but that's 4 lakh crores in yeah. in today's money yeah um, to, for their daily expenditure they need to borrow money of this sum right but most states don't have revenue deficits right even if they do it's like 0.01% yeah, of the yeah. G, uh, state gdp significantly so gone down yeah so that is a positive thing so that was the frbm then the next interesting thing came with planning commission going down and we discussed how planning commission had this dominant role to play so that went out with that went out this idea of the plan expenditure as well right, right? like which we were discussing earlier so now all the expenditure uh, that was combined uh, sort of the pool of money that could be divided came into the finance commission commission's purview and this was the 14th finance commission so this actually happened even before there was a firm decision to end the planning commission right yeah i think they were related probably that they no, would have no but sort of the bjp government that came in ended the planning commission hmm. but uh, like uh, you were saying the finance commission was relegated to only managing non plan expenditure for the longest time yeah but 
in the last days of the upa government they the terms of reference that they gave for the 14th finance commission actually said that hey look at plan and non plan yep yep for some reason and we don't quite know how yeah. the the sort of political economy that drove that yeah right? maybe even upa government realized that planning commission was not the right way i don't know it's just a guess here right but so for the first time in what almost 50 years the finance commission had the mandate to look at all the revenues yeah. pretty much most of the revenues coming in yeah in first time in 70 years yeah okay they so this was a new thing right that they had a larger pool of money to play with uh, and the idea being that finance commission is largely uh, it is not seen to be batting for one union government or the other planning commission was seen as this very political institution which was batting for the union government right so right. Uh, finance commission is generally made up of economists uh, experts who are outside the government so there was this idea that finance commission would usher into a new path of fiscal federalism which it did so the new thing that happened when it pooled these resources together it allotted a larger amount of money as general purpose transfers to states and that is what we keep hearing about how it increased from 32% of the total divisible pool to 42% that number is not right by the way but anyway there was a increase in the cash money that the state governments get uh, so that was one positive thing which happened with the finance commission that was like the big change here there were some other changes as well that uh, for example the finance commission also took into account for the first time 2011 population in some way right so okay. earlier there was only 1971 population uh, change and that was a very controversial thing because people said oh no you are going to disincentivize the people who have actually done well on population control etc but the finance commission said it just doesn't make sense to allot something for the future based on population data of 30, 40 50 years ago right It's, so that no, was a population new control is should not be a part of any yeah. modern policy discourse no, right yeah just because fc is the abbreviation uh, finance commission is not family planning commission <laughs> right <laughs> so but that's the main problem so, so that was so tell me a little more hmm. about this formula that's used i mean what hmm. kind of things uh, are taken and was something different in the 14th finance commission yeah. formula so largely all finance commissions have few common things in the formula one would be the population right because yeah you need to spend on per individual individual count so there will be some factor there then there's a measure for income distance so basically it measures what is the revenue raising capacity of the state and how how far are they from this and then trying to incentivize them to meet that so that is one component uh, then this time the finance commission so these two are common like uh, across all states uh, all finance commissions this time the new thing that they had was something for forest cover for example earlier finance commissions used to give these specific grants uh, again specific purpose grants basically 100 crores for forest or something like that so the this particular 14th finance commissions desisted from giving a lot of these specific purpose grants because they said that is in the domain of the union government and states let them decide but uh, this time the finance commission had involved this in the formula itself so they gave around 7.5% weightage to forest cover so okay. states which had more forest cover sort of benefited from this for example we saw that karnataka benefited a lot so 
the grants that were given uh, as part the tax devolution rather to Karnataka between 2014-15 and 2015-16 increased by 63%. Wow. So one of the factors for that was inclusion of forest cover. As so well. I remember I think Arvind Subramaniam and others have made a case sort of even internationally that you know this inclusion of forest cover in the finance commission sort of calculations actually makes it one of the largest sort of green transfers in the mm-hmm. world sort of to promote forestry and so on. But I think there was a far more sort of practical reason to doing this, right? The idea is that if forest covers higher uh, cost of providing services is so much higher, right? Just laying a road or providing electricity, everything just becomes harder when you have forests and hills and so on. And forests are a number that's very hard to fudge, right, for the government. You can't artificially just hike that number up by 10% and say, mm-hmm. so therefore give me more money. So it was a useful, relevant sort of proxy for the cost of providing government services in various states. Yeah, and if you have a forest, there is an opportunity cost, right? You can't do anything else with that land. But yet you want to incentivize the states to have that forest. So that's why it was in. But actually, my preference would be even forest cover shouldn't have been there at all, right? Like Because anyways, you're taking, if you can do this for forest cover, there will be... People will ask, why don't you do this for health? Why don't you do this for A, B, C, urban governance, etc. So Mm. there can be any number of things that can be put into that formula. True. For now, not in this formula, but in any centrally sponsored scheme and so on, the government of India thinks of two things, right? I mean, you have hilly states by and large, which are called special category states. Mm. And there's a different sort of formula for them compared to all other states that are sort of general category states, right? So there's that sort of difference built in. Yes. So if you want to do the same thing in Himachal Pradesh as you would want to do in Karnataka, Himachal Pradesh has a different set of rules and perhaps more money per person that's needed over there. Absolutely. But, but uh, beyond that, only the forest cover was used in the Finance Commission yeah. here. Yeah. Okay. So that's the formula. But, and of course, the most contested part of that was using this 2011 numbers. Uh, but what you said earlier was that uh, in this vertical vertical balance between the government of India and state governments, the 14th Finance Commission transferred a lot more resources to the states. Yes. So it tilted the sort of balance in favor of the state governments and mm. it increased. So the correct number is from 38% of this resources, which used to go from this divisible tax divisible pool to the state governments mm. from 38%, it became 42%. Okay. So that was the real increase. Uh, there was a lot of news made about this that, you know, from 32% you've increased to 42%. But essentially, uh, the recommendations were based on the fact that many state governments complained to the Finance Commission that, hey, union government is doing everything in what is in our territory, what is legitimately in the constitution that we should be doing. And we are forced to contribute to that in the sense that, you know, you have centrally sponsored schemes, which are some 40% is given by the states, etc. Right. So where is the scope for us as devolved entities to take decisions on our own? So many state governments made this complaint and based on this, the idea was that 
this is not the approach to go at and it's in the interest of india and indian fiscal federalism that states have a greater say in determining what their priorities are and they should be able to choose what they want to spend on so that is the major change uh, and this set a narrative that you know state governments now earlier there was this narrative that state governments are incompetent inefficient and that's why you need this big brother and uh, holier than thou union government which can keep things in place but that mm. narrative shift sort of the culmination of that was this idea that you know state governments let them choose what they want to so it was more that there was a marginal change between this union versus state allocation but there was a much larger flexibility given to the states over a much larger sum of money yes right? yes so the net increase for states may not have been too much but the control uh, increase was significant yes Yeah, the idea being that, uh, you know, anyways, now our states also raise a significant amount of their own revenue, right? So this amount is not very big. Like for Karnataka, for example, it total all the grants combined are around twenty five percent of its uh, total expenditure. For some poorer states, they are higher. Like for Madhya Pradesh, it is around fifty percent. Mm. So this is the range, you know. But uh, so it gave at least a narrative shift more than anything else in terms of the numbers. Right. So after that, we've uh, now had the. I mean, we had some controversy. a while ago when the 15th finance commission's terms of reference were made public uh, i think nk singh was appointed uh, the head of the 15th finance commission right and now the 15th finance commission has been going about meeting various states even you had the opportunity to attend a meeting and a consultation with them uh, a short while ago so tell me a little bit about the politics and the controversy of the appointment of the 15th finance commission and some of what you've seen since then right so there's interesting thing there these terms of references are made by the union government in effect okay by the finance commission is appointed by the president of india but uh, the terms of references are in consultation with the union government which means it uh, no, and it, who is chosen is also chosen by the union government yeah, right yeah. so the terms of reference of the 15th finance commission had many interesting things new things which were controversial okay so the first and foremost thing is there is this thing called the performance based incentive so one part of the terms of references is that you know we will have these performance based incentives for what states are doing related to expenditure on populist measures what are they doing on sanitation solid waste management and all that so i mean first of all who's the union government to decide or this is the rightful share of the states right this is finance commission grants right. to determine what is populist and what is not when it is itself doing so many populist schemes right so this idea of performance based incentives to me is the most problematic one because uh, as i said union government should be able to do that when it is itself in charge of money so when it is running its own centrally sponsored schemes it can probably put some restrictions but for this money which is the rightful share of the state doing this is problematic right? it makes finance commission a planning commission what's the difference right. so that is one uh, big problem uh, the second thing which uh, was the idea that the finance commission terms of reference says that you know there was a substantially enhanced tax devolution in the last finance commission so this the union government is trying to wrest back control you know there's this feeling i get from this terms of reference that they think 
too much money has been given to the states now let's roll back and union government should get more control so there's already this implicit thing which is given which is quite strange because no other finance commission's terms of reference earlier had the idea what the previous finance commission did because if they have found it problematic they could have rejected it the union government at that time it didn't right so why is it bringing it again in this conversation so that was uh, one idea and in fact we see something very strange what happened when union government had to give more money based on 14th finance commission recommendation was that the union government itself reduced some of its own expenditures on some centrally sponsored schemes okay so which is not bad in itself in the sense that already they were doing so many things so it is good that they are reducing so basically instead of the uh, expenditure on health or education being controlled by the government of india it scaled back that controlled expenditure and sort of increased this expenditure which the states had full control on right, right? but uh, people are still sort of loss averse right so mm. a lot of states even complained after mm. while they might have complained to the finance commission that the government of india is running everything mm. there were a lot of complaints and concerns saying oh you've reduced the narega budget you've reduced the sarvashiksha yeah. abhiyan budget but that was a natural consequence and the idea is that now you have the money and the flexibility you allocate to whatever schemes and yeah. sectors that you want no and the bigger problem is the union government could have reduced money on a lot more of the other schemes it does right but right. it should it needn't have to reduce schemes on say health and education which are the meritorious goods which we discussed but there are other uh, 28 schemes and under those 28 147 schemes on some khelo india and bunch of other things right why is the gov- government still spending on that and the interesting result we found is that after immediately after the 14th finance commission they reduced these grants to these schemes say but by 2017 18 this number had again increased so we see again that specific purpose transfers for all sorts of centrally sponsored schemes has increased wow so whatever the finance commission imagined that there will be more freedom for the state governments to decide what it wants to do is not happening in reality so again the union governments wants to do a lot of things go to the pu- public and say we are your saviors not your state governments so uh-huh. again that trend is completely reversed so this is one big problem okay mm. so there is no enhanced substantially enhanced uh, 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 grants or money coming to the uh, state governments the other thing right is whenever we're talking about this money that's being split between the center and the states uh, we call it the divisible pool of taxes right so that means that the government of india has one full control over all non tax revenues so any spectrum auctions other things things like coal there is a separate state versus center sharing but they have control and two if they raise cesses they get to control all the money that the cesses raise yeah. right and do you think that's why we've had more cesses in the last 5 years yes absolutely so the number of cesses from 2014 15 to 2017 18 have more than almost tripled okay wow. so we raised around 750 billion rupees in 2014 15 through cesses and surcharges by 2017 18 itself it was uh, 2000 billion rupees right so almost okay. tripled so th- th- it happens and uh, that state union governments want to they don't want to let go of this uh, money so cesses by raising cesses they don't have to share it with the states so you see all sorts of cesses right we had this krishi kalyan cess and then yeah 
bunch of them and and assessors are always raised on the most evocative of topics right krishi kalyan on education uh, uh, swachh bharat Swach. says yeah and you know essentially i mean no one wants a uh, air india bachao says yeah. right <laughs> but money is all fungible once yeah. it goes to the government yeah. effectively it is doing air india funding right whereas if education health was your priority you should have been what were you doing with the all the money that you got earlier? yeah it should have the first call on the common pool yeah. of taxes right <laughs> so that was the other thing but mm-hmm. i want to bring up one thing which was the most controversial one and uh, we discussed briefly about this and that mm-hmm. is a 2011 population figure so in the terms of reference for the first time uh, so 14th finance commission had to use a mix of both of them 1971 right. and 2011 it was there in the tor uh, but in the uh, in this ter- terms of reference for the first time it is explicitly said that you should use 2011 census figures so that has uh, generated a lot of uh, commentary especially from the better performing states that you know we are going to get disadvantaged because of this which we said that is not genuine concern in the sense that finance commission is not supposed to re- re- regulate family planning if you want if you it's a genuine concern you ask the union government to resolve it in other means but from a finance commission point of view doesn't make sense and uh, there is a very good book uh, uh, indian fiscal federalism by yv reddy and gr reddy which has come out recently it talks mm-hmm. about some interesting things for example the percentage difference in shares of population between 1971 and 2011 are only in the range of minus 1.52 for T- tamil nadu and plus 1.34 to uttar pradesh so the range is not very much right because mm-hmm. remember there's lot been in migration to some of the uh, better performing states as well so this is completely not going to alter the money that any state gets at all right but it's so but evocative overall concern that southern or better performing states are subsidizing the uh dysfunctional governments in various parts of india right mm. how should we think about that better this this idea that you know money is going from here to there mm. yeah but I, i think we've discussed this earlier as well right redistribution is a reality for every transaction that i mean you are paying us swachh bharat says is also a redistribution from you to someone else right. so that is inherent uh, that's a social contract which is there in any of the state and it's there within every state too right yes right. exactly um, a majority of the taxes might be collected in bangalore and a few cities but will benefit people in the entire state yeah if this formula or this way of thinking were to be followed through no fund should flow from whitefield to jainagara and no fund should flow from bangalore to bidar for example right but right. that's absolutely not what we are advocating so a, a general principle that i have in mind is for any of these meritorious goods we should not at all bring this in mind right because mm. it's in everyone's interest Mm-hmm. for those things to improve all across india right. so uh, the interesting thing here is again all the states even the states which are performing well are obsessed with this horizontal transfers right that you know bihar shouldn't get as much as uh, you uh, as karnataka gets or so on and so forth but no one is talking about this vertical imbalance which is the main problem i mean union government might just take away money from all states Right. and then you will be left squabbling between states so that i think is the bigger challenge where people have not focused on and that's where i think we should be investing a lot more time on all right 
so pranay um, you also had the chance to attend a uh, 15 finance commission consultation where they came to bangalore and met with uh, economists and policy thinkers and others what how was your experience there what kind of conversations took place yeah. it was a very interesting experience when first of all it was meant for economist i am not it was meant for eminent economist i am neither eminent nor an economist but i got a chance to attend there because of some of the work we have done on that right so there were experts from various fields and the interesting thing i found out was it was like everyone substituting and thinking of finance commission as the government so everyone wanted the allocations or performance based incentives for their favorite project so someone said you should have a performance based incentives for solid waste management or you should have a performance based incentive for climate change or bunch of these things right all these are valid in their own sense right i mean we need to have allocations for all these but finance commission is not the mechanism or the institution which should be doing this so i so there were not too many ideas on actual federalism based sort of thinking in that conversation it was yeah. more about domain and topic yeah and even if they were federalism based conversation it were again based on you know bihar versus uh, karnataka or tamil nadu versus rajasthan and things like that so it was not about union versus state that vertical thing was not there and right. i think what the learning on reflection i think i found this is happening because we have a case of missing institutions because mm. now if you see planning commission even though it had all these problems it was serving one function where it used to be a forum for interaction between state governments and union governments at a frequent level right there will be right. annual plans that state governments make. so there so was you, you have also at multiple levels right so you have ministers meeting joint secretaries the principal secretaries yeah. etc all chief ministers were part of the ndc which was uh, a, a structure within this planning commission idea oh the national development council was within the planning commission no, no i mean national planning commission was supposed to perform based on what ndc sort of decided all it right. eventually ended up being planning commission deciding and ndc giving an approval but right. there was this mechanism where there was some uh, intergovernmental bargaining that could happen right states could say these things right that you know why are you incentivizing some other state when it is not doing well on its own so these questions could be raised there but mm. now with no planning commission being there and niti aayog hasn't filled those shoes yet it is not a yet a credible place for intergovernmental bargaining so it all these issues ended up being fed into this body called finance commission which only has five people who will just uh, write a report recommend and then they will go away right they have no means to uh, uh, administer or to see whether these uh, grants are actually used for the purpose they are meant to they have absolutely no way to do it but it ended up being so 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 basically we need more institutions then to to be there between state and central government such that there is more discussion there is more negotiation and there is more uh, sort of consensus formation on a, a variety of issues right and and even a forum where states can flag problems from their end that might not be there currently i guess that happens only in domain specific ways right i mean we have a gst council where sort of states sit and but they just decide gst rates you might have a similar meeting for say ayushman bharat or for uh, something else but they only talk about that scheme right and i'm sure state 
inputs are taken in in some form in that but you don't have something that is across the board and i don't know if you can just ask chief ministers with that job right you can't just have a national development council where chief ministers sit i mean chief ministers have a lot of things to do you uh, so are there any thoughts on the kinds of institutional arrangements yeah. that can be there actually the 14 finance commission recommend some of these things so there were two a case of two missing institutions which they sort of recommend one itself is there is something called the interstate council which is again in the constitution but it is completely defunct it is not mm-hmm. being used for the purpose so it can serve as this forum so they have recommended what are the amendments that you can make to their mandate so that they become this credible forum where states can you know raise their concerns grievances mm-hmm. with, with other states and with the union government so that is one thing the second big uh, missing institution is something called the fiscal council now currently uh, anyone can promise anything in the indian setup we promise orop some other government promised uh, you know we promise all sorts of things and there is no institution which actually says whether we have the money for this or not right, right? and how much something costs costs right so there is cag which does a sort of a post mortem right it analyzes what happened with the money which was allotted but there is no ex ante measurement where you actually analyze if you have promised orop this are the type of money you need to raise so this is something which is realized in other federal uh, systems and like australia has a system for this us has a congressional budget office which exactly does this job so it is a non political body made of experts which does some projections analyzes how much is the revenue gap how do you meet etc so they recommended that you need to have an as a permanent body permanent body and independent of the union government so it should directly report to the parliament for example okay. so after this the union government actually did form a, fin- a fiscal council but the fiscal council reports to the ministry of finance okay so it's like how will you police someone who's your boss right like so it is not serving the purpose it should but this is another institution if we make it re- report to the parliament i think we can have better outcomes and we sometimes forget that a lot of the things that give us transparency give us data uh, give us information on how the government is working are all institutions that report to the parliament or the state assembly right mm. so the cag for example reports to the parliament um i mean the cag role played in states also i mean they table their uh, state accounts and so on in the state assembly and because it's tabled in the state assembly it becomes publicly available information and we've actually even seen right i think in west bengal there was some funny politics happening a couple of years ago and for some reason the uh, state accounts were just not being tabled in the state assembly yeah. for 2 years mm-hmm. so they were just not available in the public record because they need to get to the assembly first yeah. so this idea of reporting to the parliament is an extraordinarily useful thing that often we don't think about yeah it's a powerful institutional design right it is actually what legislation and legislators are meant for right. not for fixing the roads outside our street but yeah that's again a bigger problem and you know the final thing one thing i want to mention was uh, it's unfortunate that this is considered out of the box but there is no reason why three states or five states can't get together and set up a permanent institution uh between those five states for cooperation right there is nothing illegal about it you know say the four southern states think that they have similar interests 
on a range of issues there's no reason why they can't set up an uh, institution where they which facilitates conversation with each other where they can also more effectively lobby with the government of india as well yeah but for some reason no states have sort of taken this up and we only talk about conflicts between states rather than cooperation between states on a lot of these yeah. ideas mm. and even within the states the state finance commissions don't exist right, right. for i mean they exist but they hardly do do the work so whatever union finance commission does to the states the state finance commissions are supposed to do for their districts at local levels but they are dysfunctional in most states so that is also one step that state governments can take on their own right there's no requirement and it's a, uh, no in fact that's the state finance commission is something that is recommended in the 74th amendment as well mm-hmm. but it's again like with everything to do with state to local devolution everything is left to the discretion of the state government to do so the state may set up a state finance commission which meets every 5 years and does things and unfortunately no states uh, really want to i think karnataka at the state finance commission the third state finance commission i think a while ago uh, which gave some things but we've not had a recent one yeah. well, i mean the the state has become more urban and therefore the expenditure should reflect that but i don't yeah. think uh, we're quite there yet uh, so pranay thank you so much for coming on the pragati podcast again uh, and talking to us about fiscal federalism thank you so much thank you Thank you for staying with us till the end. If you have any questions or comments, do write in to podcast at thinkpragati.com. And hey, if you like the podcast and listen to us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. It'll mean a lot to us. The Pragati Podcast is available on the IVM Podcast app and pretty much every other podcast app and platform. We are there everywhere. Hi my name is Anupam Gupta I'm B50 on Twitter I am the host of Paisa Paisa a show that talks money on my show I speak to experts from every field of money and finance from stock markets equities debt funds credit cards life insurance every possible area of money and finance that you can think of we even did an episode on cryptocurrency I've got fantastic guests from mutual funds to personal finance experts everywhere robo advisory startup just name it we've got it At Pesa Pesa, we help you make smart decisions about money. You work hard for money. Now make your money work hard for you. New episodes out every Monday, and you can listen to my show on the IVM Podcast app or any other podcasting app that you have. Pesa Pesa is brought to you by Paytm Money. Hey guys, I'm Mikhail Almeida. I host uh, a podcast with my co-host Akash Mehta and Siddharth Reja on the IVM app. It's called What a Player. What, What a, a Player. W A D D A P L A Y A H because illiterates can't find it on their own. No, and yeah. the h at the end is very important. What, What a player. player. Yeah. <laughs> and it comes out every Thursday on the IVM app. Uh, tune in. We discuss everything sports, uh, all sports, uh, all, sports. all sports. Yeah. Mainly cricket, other sport in the middle sandwich. <laughs> What happened to your language skills? Thursday. Don't worry, he talks better on the show. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, a great show. It has all things, including cricket and uh, things around sports as well. Yeah, and some personal life. As you can see, we're a very united podcast. <laughs> and if you want to listen to us, tune in to us every Thursday on the IBM Podcast app or ibmpodcast dot com. Thursday.